Thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs. Today we have returning guest Lee Gaddis of Gaddis Gaming. How are you today, Lee? I cannot complain. I'm here with you, so I'm doing something right. You know, Lee, I always tell people you can always complain. It's just, will anyone care? Yeah, nobody's listening, so why bother? <laughs> Well, so, Lee, I'd like to say um, we're going to cover two things here. One, we're going to cover the Kickstarter um, that you've got coming out, and that is, let me pull up the official title for anyone typing into Kickstarter, Empire's Fall, Conflict in the East, Weird War Gaming in World War II. So this is a follow-on to the Kickstarter we discussed last time, and um, then we'll talk about Historicon. So why don't we go through uh, Conflict in the East, because I, I love some of the design aesthetic you were bringing to like the Eastern Front. Uh, different stuff than what we saw on your last one, which covered the 761st Tank Battalion on the Western Front. So why don't you say uh, what you've got going here? Right, so as you said, this is the uh, second part to our Empire's Fall uh, line of World War II miniatures. Our first one, uh, we dedicated to the 761st Tank Battalion, which is my grandfather's unit. Um, and so this one, we uh, pulled our attention and our fictitious storyline uh, to the east, where you have the Soviets bringing out super weapons. And we had hypothesized if the uh, Holy Roman Empire was able to finish the E series of tanks, which was in development in 1945. And so the um, so these two uh, behemoths go up against each other in the wintertime of 1945 on the Eastern Front um, with the uh, Soviets making a push uh, into Germany and, and then the uh, Romanian, Hungarian, German combined forces trying to hold them off uh, in, in uh, Latvia. Okay, so, so that, that's where we pulled that from. So I think the, the thing that really caught my eye is, um, so I follow you on Kickstarter, and with the launch, the photo you have leading, leading it is uh, familiar with your ball tank, but you have a new, like, extra large ball tank out there. Yeah, the big, the big boy ball oil. tank, yeah. Yeah, that is, the, uh, that is the big boy. The first one we did uh, for the ball tank was just to, you know, we ran it up the flagpole to see if, if people liked it. And it was just a, a, a scout vehicle that had a lot of different people had been working on that kind of shape um, from after World War One. Uh, you had the interwar years where the Germans and the Soviets and the Americans even were working on this ball shaped tank to use as a scout vehicle. And uh, and we again, we hypothesized, well, what if they had got it working? Right, what would it look like? And we went on to theorize what it what it would have looked like um, if it were finished and uh, developed, uh, and just a giant rolling monstrosity. So we started off with the first one, and we said, well, with the escalation during World War II uh, to heavier and heavier sets of armor, what if the next development would look like if they had got it working? And that became the big boy ball tank, which gave us the impetus for the um uh for the model that you see on the cover of our most current kickstarter well so that picture must have worked because you actually hit your goal in under 24 hours on this i have to admit i was one of those backers there but yeah. um with with this design aesthetic so you have the ball tank in there uh like that yeah. fully painted up um, something else that you've added is you've got 28 millimeter resin, both regular Holy Roman Empire and what looks like what you're calling super troopers. So these look like your first venture into like the up armored uh, soldier. Right. So what we did was, again, uh, we ventured to what if uh, situations and um, some of the experimental weapons that were being used and developed. Uh, so we just did a veterans unit of super troopers uh, to go in as elite forces in your in your army. As you know, with our guard system, the Gaddis Universal Assembly Rules Data System, our guards rule system is universal system. So we um, 
we wanted to have something for people who are who are using that uh, to be able to add to their armies uh, that they already have and to just supplement their World War II uh, miniatures that they maybe already have in, in, in 150 scale vehicles and in 28 millimeter uh, regular infantry. So uh, these are your uh, veteran uh, super commandos that are going in and uh, doing elite strikes and carrying experimental weapons uh, to the front lines. So we hope people uh, will enjoy that. Again, we, we try to stay in contact with our with the gaming community. Uh, Ryan Cartel, Cartel over at um, Weird World War II and that group and, uh, and other miniatures groups, you know, uh, we always say, well, what do you guys think about this? Or what do you think about that? You know, based upon what we are going to be doing. And if we get a big response on something or we get a lot of hits on something, then we know that we've, we've struck a nerve uh, on something that people want. Um, and the Super Troopers are definitely something uh, that people wanted. And people who play other games, you know, they use it a lot. I mean, I'm the uh, admin of the Conflict 47 fan group, and there's people always coming out with walkers and, and other really strange stuff that they that they want um, to see in games. So we're always happy uh, to provide it, you know, as best we can. You know, we're a small company. You know, we can't do it, everything, but we try to do as much as we can. You know, we have a lot of stuff in development in the pipeline uh, as we manufacture and release these uh these miniatures to the public and uh kickstarter is just one way for us to gauge you know the interest you know if somebody really interested in this is something you really want you know that way we can fund our next project get our next art you know um our next uh piece of uh artwork done uh for you know hiring sculptors and whatnot and develop it further and so that's where the kickstarter funding uh comes in you know, we have some wacky ideas, but not all of them may, may be financially uh, solid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to admit, so even if no one plays uh, the guard system, the miniatures hold up on their own because you mentioned Conflict 47. Um, I like some of the, the so Warlord does like their um, super trooper Germans um, there. And I like the models, but when I see them, I see more of the anime um wolf commandos like um right like that's what i see when i see those troops when i see like your designs from world war one world war two it actually looks like the aesthetic of comic books from that time period so yeah and that's like seven they're projecting like what would we think is cool for back then versus where you take a look what did people think was cool back then and say you know weapons can look like this yeah, and that's a that's a design aesthetic choice for us. We go back and we look at popular mechanics. We look at you know uh, we take our design cues from actual artwork from the era, so that we can um, make items that are uh, that look like they fit in that place, fit in that universe, right? So that uh, just by the design language, you know, if you put it on the table, you know, it fits right in. You know, it fits right in with that. And um, and I know that uh, we do a lot of uh, like there's a gap between the Victorian steampunk sci-fi and then diesel punk, which is usually you know the 1950s. So we play within that gap, you know, like what would it have been if they had just started um, miniaturization of a lot of these tools and the engines where you could strap it on your back, you know, and it was piston driven. Uh, with a little bit of fuel and off you go, right? Whereas uh, the the steampunk tend to be, you know, what if it was a steam engine and you have a lot of gears and stuff attached to it with diesel punk, you know, it's more of a petroleum-based, um, piston-driven uh, type of aesthetic. And then we use a lot of real items that were created during that time, and we just extrapolate it out based upon the design cues that it has and the look and feel um, of it comes out so that it fits inside that universe and then therefore it fits inside the world we create, the world we created. So I'm glad to see that that that's coming through in, uh, in the product we released because we spent a lot of time on that. We spent a lot of time doing research and, um, and getting, um, and getting that look, 
you know, just right. So it doesn't look out of, out of place. So, so thank you for noticing that. Yeah. So that's the famous. Okay. We'll describe like the ball tanks and some of the trooper uh, design choices as like the fantasy side. Let's talk about some of the, the E series you got here. So looking at um, your Kickstarter, you have the E75 Jagdpanzer, uh, the E75 yeah. Tiger III, um, is there one more? I don't, you sent me a picture of a half track, uh, the Holy Roman Empire half track. And yeah, that's a, that's a completely made up vehicle. <laughs> it was like, what, yeah. what if we took the Hanamag and then up armored it to go with the, uh, with the E series tanks, right? So the E series was made to, um, replace. So if you go with the smallest one, which unlocks on our first, uh, stretch goal, the E25 was made to replace the Hetzer. You know, it was a small, light tank hunter. And then the E50 was designed to replace the uh, the Panther. Um, you know, it was designed to be a 50-ton tank um, that was similar to the, uh, to the King Tiger, but wasn't any bigger than a Panther. And then you move up to the E75, which was, uh, a much larger version of the uh, of the King Tiger with a much heavier uh, heavier gun, and then you get into E100, which they captured the hulls for two of them. Uh, the Allies did, and that was made uh, to a hundred ton tank that was made to replace the mouse. And I think they only had two working versions of the mouse actually ready to roll off the production fields, but the more practical way of uh, standardizing their production because the parts can be used in any of the vehicles uh, back and forth, you know, versus having multiple vehicles needing multiple different parts. You know, these were just, you know, you could use the road wheels, you could use um, engine parts, you can use, you know, different interior uh, components would be standardized for the vehicles um, when they went into production, but that never happened because the work the war came to an end in April 45 for, um, for the Germans. So for us, we were like, well, if the war had continued and you had somebody else in place, so again, this is our fictitious empire's fall universe, um, what would that be like? And so uh, the E-Series was just the natural add-on for that. So you would have a light tank, a medium tank, and a heavy tank to fill those, uh, to fill those slots as uh, as tanks and tank hunters, and that's why you have the Jagdpanzer series for for each one of those. So, when we look at some of these E series, you went back to like the captured designs, like some of the uh, mm -hmm. blue drawings and some of those, and said, "Okay, let's finish this and put it into model form." Um, the reason I like your half track um, is that wasn't something that was on the drawing room board. But when I look at the cut and the layout of it, it's like, I could see this, you know, it makes sense. If they upgraded the tanks, what if you upgraded other stuff? Um, yeah, the armor that, personnel carrier, yeah. Yeah, um, but that actually plays like, you know what, just as a standalone sci-fi vehicle, um, it could be used in a lot of other situations besides just, you know, uh, the weird World War II. It, it is really st stand up like troop carrier. Um, made me think of like some of the uh, Xenos Rampant when they talk about like uh, um, doing a more heavy metal type of uh, vehicles. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So even even mentioning that there is a um, you know there is a lot of crossover appeal with what we create at other games because i noticed you know we were like one of the first uh gaming companies uh doing the weird war uh aesthetic for world war one but now you have games like forbidden song last war trump 28 you know trench crusade just to name a few that are also um getting into that uh, aesthetic so we were la we're I'm, I'm happy to see um 
other companies taking our lead and really fleshing out that weird World War One era. Because um, probably the most popular World War Two product was uh, was Dust Forty Seven, which went by the wayside, unfortunately, with with Apollo and, and COVID uh, took them out of the out of out of, uh, out of the marketplace because they were manufacturing in China. But we manufacture all of our items here in the United States, so um, uh, we have a lot more control over uh, our production. Um, as long as we have the raw materials, uh, we use a lot of tin in our pewter, so the, the miniatures tend to have a lot more crisper detail than other uh, miniatures. Um, but we uh, we looked at, to your point, you know, what was what was on the drawing board? What were they developing? You know, what was what, what were the prototypes that didn't work out? And then we say, well, what if they did work out? And one of them was uh, updating the. Um, uh, uh, the Honomags. One of the more interesting concepts they had was that they took the existing Panther chassis and then just made it a, uh, an, a personnel carrier. It was a very fascinating uh, uh, design. And I know the uh, British did the same thing with our Shermans. Uh, they called it the Kangaroo, where it was without a tank turret on top of it and just had a machine gun and they used it as an armored uh, personnel carrier. So that was another. Um, uh, design aesthetic that I thought was was very interesting. That doesn't get a lot of attention um, on the on the gaming table as as it might. So in our world, we're saying, well, these are now mainline vehicles that can be used again in, in complete. I mean, we don't we don't tell you how to play the game. We just give you the toys to play with, right? <laughs> so you know, so, so you take the, you can play with our, you can take all of our Shattered Crown miniatures, and you can play Forbidden Psalm. You can play Last War. You can play turn of 28, you know, trench crusade, whatever it is that you want to play. You know, we're more than happy to sell you miniatures to play with or, you know, and even uh, I noticed at Historicon, there was a lot of pickup games where people just had a lot of homebrew rules that you can't even buy. You know, that they only play them at the conventions because of the size and scale of the games that people are playing. And it's absolutely beautiful to see the way the tables are laid out and trained that they're using and the miniatures uh, that they're using. And so we get a lot of people that want, that want that one-off, that unique miniature that nobody else has because they're trying to one-up their friends uh, on the gaming table. And, uh, and we're happy to provide that for them. Well, let's talk about, all right, normally we go through all the different tiers and see uh, what people can get. But let's just, we'll go backwards. But right now, let's start at the everything reward. $170. This is what I picked. So okay. why... Tell people what they can get for $170. Okay. So if you want to go in and you want to get the, uh, just give me everything you got, right? <laughs> just, just give it all to me. Um, you'll you'll get a, a box with uh, the three German super trooper officers. You'll get five uh, super troopers for the Holy Roman Empire. You'll get five Soviet shock troopers, which are brand new miniatures that we haven't released yet. You'll get the big boy ball tank with all eight weapon options, so you can outfit it any way you want. You'll get the E75 uh, E-series tank, and you'll get the E75 Jagdpanzer, along with a starter copy of the guards rulebook, dice, and tokens, all in one box. Excellent. Now, I wanted to bring that up because this, there is a step above everything reward 170 so this is called yeah fully painted army 325 yeah so what now what what do you get with the fully painted army when you say fully painted army okay. for what do you now for 325 dollars rock bottom prices for a painted army you'll get all of the above right you'll get the e75 yak panzer you get the e75 uh tiger You'll get the big boy ball tank with all eight weapons options and the super troopers, uh, both uh, Holy Roman Empire and Soviet and the command team, but they'll be completely painted and flocked in winter camo in the winter color schemes. So, so all you have to do, open up the box and literally put them on the table. And that's for $325. So and we work with a, uh, we, we work with a veterans group 
for people, for veterans who have PTSD and they can't be out in the workplace and they work in, 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 in the house or as uh, physical therapy. Uh, and those are the people that we use to, to, to paint uh, our miniatures through Hero by Design Studios. So. Okay, because uh, I was looking at it, you know, for me, you see the jump from 170 to 325, and you think, yeah. gosh, that's that's a lot of money. But then I think, how many hours would I have to spend to paint up this paint. army? And then yeah. how yeah. much, what's my burn rate for my clients? It's like, well, yeah. it's only, I double it, and then I'm done, essentially. Right. So think about it. You have the, you know, the models are fully painted with, with our custom decals, right? Um, the bases are flocked. And again, you just open up the box, you pull them out, and you start playing. I mean, I, that's, to me, that's something that I, I want in a Kickstarter. So I put it in this one. <laughs> it's something that I, you know, I'm like, wait a minute. I order this, it comes to my house, and all I have to do is put it on the table. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. To your point, because you're saving the time that you would have. Now, other people in the all-in, they they like the they like the painting part of it. They like you know. There's in our hobby. There's there's different types of people, right? There's people who just build and collect. There are people who build and and paint. There are people who um who are like rules lawyers. They only collect rule sets. I have people come by the booth all the time for that. Um, there are people who collect dice. There are people, you know, who just want to play. They don't want to deal with any of the other aspects of the hobby. They like putting it on the table and playing the game, right? So we want to meet you wherever you're at in the hobby. We want to meet you at your comfort level. Yeah, I, you know? so, nor, so I'm a build and paint. So I think that's the only reason I didn't go for the 320 for the uh, fully painted, because I, I just have an issue of owning models I haven't painted. Otherwise, I looked at okay. like the value proposition of that one and said, you know, if I was just pure gamer, didn't care about the hobby side of it, that would actually make a lot of sense. Because it's like... Yeah, and there are people well, like that. Or there's people, you know, that are older, that their hands aren't as steady anymore, you know, and they can't paint for whatever reason, or they won't get around to painting because their backlog is 100 years long, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know... I know I got the um, zombie side invader Kickstarter all in, and it'll be I don't know seventy five years before I finish painting all the miniatures that came in those three gigantic boxes. You know, it blew my 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 painting timetable right off, you know, my calendar because there were so many miniatures in in that Kickstarter. You know, well, and that still didn't. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna say um, James Workshop's recent canceling of the Tactical Marines and like Scouts. Of like we're not gonna we're no longer gonna make these or like support these or anything. Say no, I primed those back in two thousand one. I have yeah. got them yet, but I, I was, was gonna play them to in twenty twenty five. They were next in line. Oh no! Oh no! That box of tactical marines I've had since two thousand and four and never even broke the shrink wrap on it. I was gonna get to those. I'm so mad at you, Games Workshop. How dare you cancel those? Oh man! So uh, now I wanted to talk about adding stuff. So, so I've got my mm -hmm. one seven. So yeah. when we get to the backer kit, um, will I be able to order multiple Yag Panzers and ball tanks? Right. And then right. And that, yeah. So, yeah. So when we do the add-on, yeah. So that all gets taken care of in the. Um, um, in, in, the, in the backer kit. So as we unlock things and you want to add add-ons to whatever your pledge is, you know, you can add that to your pledge and it's just, you know, it's just an upcharge. So as things unlock, we know people want them, they're interested in them, and, and we get them to you. And if you want to get multiple uh, $170 kits, you know, for you and, and friends, or you want multiple tanks, you can just keep adding on as much as you want. You know, we don't, again, like I said, I'm not telling you how to play. I'm just giving you the toys to play with. You know, you well, can you know, get uh, multiple. 
You know, last time we were on here, talked about um, why you chose Kickstarter. I've noticed some small independents like yourself have moved away from Kickstarter. Others have stuck with mm. it. Does Kickstarter still make sense for you? It makes sense for me because we have a community built up on Kickstarter already. You know, our first Kickstarter was almost 10 years ago. So we've been using the platform for 10 years. And I know a lot of people have, have moved away from it. But for us, it's a community that's already built in, you know. So for us to move to a new platform, like I, I don't have a Patreon, which people keep telling me I should do. But I'm like, well, I'm not as prolific enough to where I can, um, I can um, do a Patreon and then promise somebody something every month, you know. Like some people are like, well, every month you're going to have this, this, and this, and this. And sometimes you may go two months before, you know, the, from the time we conceptualize something before we have something for people to put in their hands. So, so for us, Kickstarter is, okay, we have the two armies ready to go to put on the table. You know, let's launch it. And that's when we go to Kickstarter. And that, and that takes some time, us being a small, uh, a small ongoing business concern. You know, if we had the, you know, the, the, the bandwidth of a warlord or a mantic or God forbid the $2 billion that GW has, I mean, we could do a lot more, but you know, we're, we're a small company out of Detroit, um, making, making miniatures and we're not in the pocket of big miniature. We're a small independent company. We're not, we're not, we're not we're lobbying Congress for big miniature to keep the small companies down. <laughs> you're not, you're not, I, I would like to see that lobbying effort bring lead back yeah the lead lobby the lead lobby more, more lead in our miniatures please uh, lobbying on behalf of big miniature yeah. well so they're, they're, we're lobbying for toy sections in every store right <laughs> well you know one of the things we talked about um, the Last time I had you on was Siocast machines had just come out, sure. and yeah. I followed some companies uh, that uh, went in on it and like um, got the machines. And um, mm -hmm. I've actually got my hands on some of the Siocast models. And you were against getting one of those machines, despite the wonderful YouTube videos. And I have to say, well done, well done on dodging that fifty thousand dollar bullet. <laughs> Because yeah, yeah. I, Corvus Belly has gone to some of their Siocast uh, for like their tags, and yeah. it combines the worst elements of casting in metal and casting in resin together at last. So, <laughs> I so mean, I, I can, say you, you know, yeah, because I because what what I think it would be good for if you're if you're making large vehicles with flat panels. And a lot of greebling in it. I think it would be good for that. Maybe even like spaceships, it might be good for. You know, I mean, it, it has its place, but there's other, there's other manufacturing methods that are still better. And have you checked out any of uh, Warlords? Their their fine cast stuff that they're doing. Uh, I got a couple. I got their. Uh, they did one of their Conflict Forty Seven um, German Super Troopers. I got one of those. Yeah. And then uh, King Richard III got one of those. Those looked all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so if you're using it as is, no problem. But if you try to alter it or file it or sand it, you're going to have issues with the with the way that 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 um, that polymer reacts. And that's the same problem they have with um with the uh, with the Siocast uh, polymer. Uh, it doesn't react the way a resin or or a uh, uh, the polyplastic uh, reacts to cutting and sanding and filing, which people have become used to because you know um, I think when you walk into a game store, you're gifted a rhino. <laughs> when you enter the hobby, you're immediately given a rhino and a small uh, firstborn space marine. So I mean, I, I never even played Warhammer, and I think I had a collection of like from paint and takes. I had a collection of like ten different space marines. And a rhino. So I think I at some point I'm like, did I get into 40k? I don't remember getting into 40k. I'm already playing. Like, 
But I'm like, yeah, I'm already playing. I already have a, I have a, a small patrol already ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, with the Kickstarter, is there anything I've missed? Anything else you want to point out? No, again, we just want to be able, like, uh, we just want to be able to, to put out the miniatures that people want. People are really excited about the, uh, the ball tank. They're even more excited about the big boy ball tank. You know, people like for us to go big, but there's cost in going big, right? So we wanted to make sure that this had uh, some kind of interest in the community, and obviously it does because it funded in less than 24 hours. Uh, we wanted to make sure that um, all the new stuff that fits in within these ranges uh, have that style. And again, as we as the month goes on, because we still have 29 more days left on the Kickstarter, you'll see more of the stuff that we've developed in house, and then we'll that will fit within this uh, the Empire's Fall aesthetic. And we hope that people like it as we uh, like it as much as we enjoyed uh, making it. And realize uh, when the Kickstarter ends, you know, if there's something, you know, when we send out the the surveys, you can add on whatever you want to that survey. If you want the first ball tank, you know, we can add that in uh, to your survey. We don't, you know, we, we manufacture all our own, our own products, so we can add in whatever you want. So people put, can put together wish lists and just send us, you know, the wish list with the survey, and we'll put it all together for you and make sure you you get it. You know, we don't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, but as more money comes in, you'll see more vehicles like this, um, like the, the the armored half track. We have an armored staff car. Uh, we have more uh, Soviet uh, uh, tanks and, and different types of uh, self-propelled weapons and artillery. So, you know, there's more things for us to be able to put in for people to whet your appetite and to keep coming back you know, to the game for, for more. You know, uh, if we haven't if we haven't got to you yet, uh, believe me, it's on the way. We have a whole line of um, uh, Japanese versus Chinese in Manchuria. We, you know, we wanted to do some uh, Americans versus Japanese in the Aleutians and the Japanese wearing winter gear. And you don't see a lot of armies with Japanese with winter gear, but that'll be coming for for our next uh, Empire's Falls uh, uh, iteration uh, that we're doing. So you'll have have that going on with all the weird weapons and, and, and officers and looks that you, that you want to go with that. So whether you're playing Empire Fall, or Contact 47, or, you know, dust in 28 millimeter or whatever it is, your, whatever rule set you're using to play in, we have something for you to bring a unique army to the table with a unique look and style that fits in that hopefully will, will tickle your funny bone and allow you to, to have some fun on the table and to bring, like I said, a unique army um, uh, to the tabletop uh, so that you can wall your friends and, and just have fun collecting like I do. You yeah. know, some of my stuff is only to the table once in, in 10 years, but oh my God, you know, it was a unique experience, right? It's, it's something I can look back on with, with fondness. You know, um, I'm glad you brought up, because I was going to ask you um, where you're going to push the line and I, um, I mostly have uh, Western Pacific there, um, mm -hmm. but you know that is a uh, an often. So when you say that, you mean, like, yeah, when you say that, you mean like Burma and um, and uh, uh, Manila, no, uh, the Philippines, that area. Well, so I I have my island finished. So I have a warlord game like Pacific Island Marines and um, okay. Japanese standard but you know my grandfather fought in um up uh papua new guinea um, okay well actually he was deployed there then he fought in manila i think uh 25th infantry if i remember, right. remember right. but you know like um some of uh an area i'd like to go into is the southeastern with like the chinese army's x-force and y-force the british Right. American trained Chinese there, but you know, no one really covers like Manchuko, like the pre World War II Japanese puppet state that fought with the Guomindang and the uh, Mao Zedong's Red Army, and then the various like warlords that existed out in the west and southwest of the country. There's actually like a whole huge portion of the war on the Asian la um, landmass 
that just often gets neglected for Normandy Western Front, Eastern Front, and Pacific Island campaigns. Well, there's a reason for that, because you're dealing with people who come out of Britain, right? So when you're dealing with warlord, they're, they're focused in on the, on the conflicts that they were involved in. And to your point, that's a big blind spot that they have, that the Japanese have been fighting the Chinese since 28, right? So there's a lot of uh, battles that are just ignored because it didn't involve the British, right? So if you look at how Warlord schedules their stuff, they schedule it around Montgomery uh, in, in the desert in North Africa. They schedule around, um, uh, they don't really focus that much on them getting their butts kicked in, uh, in Dunkirk. But they, <laughs> but they, um, uh, but early war plans, uh, is something that they dabble into, but it's mainly British focus, colonial powers focus. But there's a lot of fighting to your point that goes on on the mainland of, of China and, uh, and Northeast Asia, uh, which, uh, would require, uh, heavier clothing, right? Because you're not in the tropics anymore. You're in the Northern, Northern climates. Um, and that's one that we want to explore like I said, with the uh, 88th Infantry from the Chinese, Nationalist Chinese, you have Chinese Communists backed by Soviet uh, Russia, and you have all the different warlord factions, um, which were outfitted with whatever they could get their hands on. So you have a lot of Vickers equipment there. Uh, you have a lot of, um, uh, uh, I wanted, uh, the Chinese were stocked with a lot of uh, uh, surplus uh, German equipment, German trained cha- uh, National Chinese, with the uh, stall helmets and the 222 armored cars, you know, and the uh, MG42s. Um, and then you have uh, the Japanese, you know, with their, you know, light tanks. I think you could push your finger through the armor. It was so thin. But, you know, that was the, <laughs> that was the state of armor, you know, in the uh, late 20s, early 30s. Um, so if we look at those types of battles that were taking place, and the only land invasion that the Japanese had during World War II was in the Aleutian Islands, where they had taken uh, the Aleutians, but didn't keep them uh, for what, you know, because they had no way to go down uh, Alaska into Canada and then the rest of the United States. But that was a real concern for the United States, you know, until we built the road to connect Alaska to to, uh, Oregon. There was no real way to go from Alaska to, um, to the United States through Canada by road. But that was an Army Corps of Engineers um, project was to build a road to connect Alaska to the United States because uh, we were afraid of a Japanese invasion on, on the mainland. And we were going to give up California, Oregon, and Washington and pull back to the interior of the country. That's why you had the Boeing plant in Kansas building the B-29 you know, in case they did do a land invasion into California. Uh, that was a that was a real concern uh, at the, at the time, but the Japanese just didn't have the uh, logistics to supply uh, forces uh, if we had if they had taken the West Coast because we were wholly unprepared for that. Well, I think um, uh, did you ever read at, at dawn we slept? No. Okay, that was about the it's like eight, was it a six hundred page book on the attack on Pearl Harbor. And uh, they, so the author actually talks in about like the Japanese planning sessions for yeah. an invasion of California. And right. like, they actually sent, like in the 30s, they sent some officers into the mainland US, like in California. And I remember the, the passage in there, cause it stuck out to me. It's like, we're having a hard enough time thinking about how we're gonna project a force to Hawaii. You want me to come all the way to California? There's just no way. It's just endless. Yeah. 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 And that's what, and, and I don't, yeah. So if you look at that, it, it was, they, you, they didn't have an, well, what they couldn't do was do California and Australia and hold all the islands. Right. So you had a huge landmass in China. You had a huge landmass in, in Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand. Right. And then you had the United States. They couldn't, they didn't have enough, physical bodies to hold that much territory across an ocean of water as big as the Pacific. So the shortcut was to go north, take the circular route 
go north and come down through Alaska. And that was the exploration of, um, of the Aleutians and use the Aleutians as a base of operations. But as you know, the water there and environment there in the wintertime is just unforgiving. So there was no way they could, you know, they could leave Japan and go across the northern route and supply everybody in the south in Australia and New Guinea and, uh, and New Zealand and supply people in the north. And there was just logistically it was impossible for them to do. And and still hold on to China, which was which was the the main uh, focus uh, for the last ten years. Yeah, well, I think that's why whenever we do what ifs, there's always a huge focus on the Germans because of you know the cool planes and the cool tanks. Like, what if they did this? There's never like a what if scenarios for the Japanese theater. Like, what if they did this? It right. always seems like the yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's definitely a neglected area that we plan on um, taking care of in our in our next supplement. So the next one that you see will be the Japanese theater uh, with uh, winter, you know, with winter uniforms. And what if they were able to take the uh, Aleutians? And what if we had started fighting in Alaska, right? So that would be the Japanese equivalent of an Eastern Front type of battle. You know, what if they had developed their heavier tanks, which they had on the drawing board? What Because they had bought a Tiger uh, one tank uh, to use as a development sounding board to do their their super heavy tanks. Um, they had bought they had bought it from the from the Germans, as the Japanese had, um, and they had three or four super heavies on the drawing board to try to hold on to uh, to China and and the invasion of Australia because of the, Australia was another one they were worried about being invaded because you got to remember in the, in the early war the Japanese were unstoppable they just every time they got on an island they just took it and kept rolling you know but it became a, a logistics problem you know once once the Americans got their naval capacity up and running uh recovering from the hit at Pearl Harbor I mean it was just endless and I think um Yamato told him, he was like, look, uh, you got to hit them hard and sue for peace, because if they get up and running, their manufacturing is, is, is unmatched. There's nothing we can do to overcome it. So they were hoping that America would, 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 uh, would sue for peace quickly, not uh, they underestimated people's desire for revenge. <laughs> for, well, you know. I, I I think what was the uh, the comparison? They were hoping for like an outcome of uh, the Russo-Japanese War, a quick yeah. strike from the blue, hit hard, roll away, and like you know what, Hawaii's just not worth it. That's too far away. Um, so I, you know what, yeah. on paper it, it would have, uh, you know, they rolled the dice. It seemed like a plausible gamble, didn't play out. But um, I hope uh, hopefully we'll have you back on when you launch the Pacific one. I'm interested in that one. Oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah, you can have me on anytime, man. We we always have stuff in development, and we're always we're always happy to talk uh, to your fan base. I mean, you know, you guys have uh, a really nice channel, and you cover a lot of uh, uh, things in the hobby that I wish more channels would cover. Because it seems like if I, if I watch one of your videos, I get five. Uh, uh, um, games workshop videos in a row. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, the hobby is more than games workshop. People, there's yeah. other people out here doing stuff. Yeah, awesome. yeah, but you guys do a really, a really good job of being positive ambassadors for the hobby and, and showcasing all the the great diversity of miniatures and and painting and and stuff that's out here. We really appreciate the hard work that you put into. Um, miniature wargaming labs. We really appreciate it. Well, I mean, I or you can think of it as more of the display of an obvious problem with buying too much stuff. <laughs> it's it's more of you a, have an outlet for it. Views, if, if you wanted views, it'd be cheaper because I would just show Games Workshop stuff all day long. It's like I have a bigger problem of buying stuff. So like, let me buy this one toy only five other people have bought, and let me show it off on YouTube for the other six people to look at. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I wanted to ask about Historicon before we run out of time. How was that? Because um, I actually went up there like Thursday night, 
Their website did not explain that the vendor hall shut down at like six o'clock. And so I, I showed up after work a little too late, um, which probably actually saved my wallet. Um, and which is why I don't have uh, some of your pulp models, which I wanted, or a, a new Munchkin army from Wars of Oz. But uh, how was Historicon for you? Historicon is always good because it's, it's meeting up with old friends. And again, the one thing that I will tell people about Historicon, the singular unique thing about Historicon, there are people that will put on games only at Historicon. There are tables that are set up that you will only see at Historicon. You can actually play demo games from the people who wrote the rules at Historicon, right? So it's a very uh, unique experience with, in, in miniature gaming in our hobby, because even though the focus is historical games, you have people that have homebrew rules that they've written to do a scenario that nobody else has done. And I know there's, uh, there's one gentleman, um, Jim Burkaw, he makes a new game every year just for Historicon that sits on an eight by six foot table. I mean, it's just huge. It's just gigantic, you know, and, uh, and he puts two regular, three regular tables together and he just puts on this huge game, all hand built terrain. Uh, he does one, uh, the last one I played with him, it was a, uh, uh, ACW naval game and he hand built each one of the ships with working interiors and swiveling deck guns. It's absolutely incredible, but they work all year to just put on this one game at Historicon, and then next year, they'll put on a completely different game. It's never the same game two years in a row. It's absolutely fascinating. And the commitment and dedication and the true artistry that you see at, at Historicon is second to none. I mean, fully painted 28-millimeter Napoleonics with every tassel, every button painted is absolutely uh, a spectacle to behold. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And some of the most friendly people you'll meet. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was my first time up there, and uh, the website wasn't very well developed. Like I said, the hours were put up there. So when I right. showed up, I was not expecting the spectacle that I saw, just how immense and how many people were there, um, like in attendance, buying, going to games. It's like that is a much bigger deal than what I thought. Yeah, every room is chock full of people playing games. Every room. You know, and you get every genre. I mean, it's even though it's a historical, I mean, I've seen sci-fi tables that have just blown me away. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Even though it's historical, its focus is, is historical miniatures. There's people playing everything. I mean, I had people uh, 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 doing a pickup game of Infinity. I mean, it was, I mean, just you name it, and something was being played there. So there is literally something for everybody at Historicon, even though the focus is the historical miniatures and preservation of historical miniatures gaming. There is so much going on there across all the different genres. I saw a battle for Pelennor Fields with the giant um, elephants. You know, just, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? But it was three guys, you know, one guy does the, the elephants and another guy brings the train and the other guy brings the orcs and the humans. And it's just, you know, and they put on this huge gigantic spectacle. And, and it's, it's just an amazing sight to see. And it's hard to describe in words what is definitely a visual medium and getting that out to people and showing them just the depth and breadth of, of artistry that's put into this hobby is, is on full display at, at Historicon. Well, what, uh, what conventions are you going to next? Because I've got Nova open next on my play deck. What are you going to next? Uh, I am going to, uh, uh, what is it, the Southern Front in, uh, in Raleigh-Durham, and then I got Huracan in Orlando, Florida. Those are my two big next, next big conventions um, that, I, that I'll be at. Uh, uh, yeah, Huracan is in, a, is in Orlando. That's the uh, September 21st to the 24th. So okay. that'll be that that's 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 always a good time. Um and then Southern Front is in the Raleigh Dorm area, and that's put on by the Triangle Gaming Society. So there are in North Carolina, there's three gaming hubs. 
There is the Triangle Gaming Society out of the Raleigh-Durham area. You have the Wilmington uh, Gaming Society, and you have the Catawba Gamers out of Charlotte. So it's a very active, active area uh, around there. But yeah, that's a lot of fun. And uh, and again, it's getting you know, it's getting together, seeing people you know that you haven't seen in a while, and uh, and rolling some dice and having a good time. And if you uh, to your listeners, uh, to your audience, I recommend that you find uh, a local uh, gaming convention because there's a lot of smaller conventions that aren't as big as, as Fallen or Historicon or Adepticon that are local conventions that you might want to try to support to try to build the, uh, build the community uh, and, and keep it strong in those areas. Because uh, a lot of these smaller conventions uh, need our support uh, and need our, our dollars, you know, to, to stay alive, even if you just go in and buy a T-shirt, you know, it, it, you know, every little bit helps. Oh, that that's something else I saw on your Kickstarter. You're having the the uh, Gaddis Gaming T-shirt is up there. Yeah, every do, year do we have, do a different. I was going to ask if you're going to have the hobbyist size medium or what most people call extra extra large. Yeah, I mean, uh, a medium, a hobby medium, yeah. <laughs> No man, that's a hobbyist. That's a that's a war gamer's medium. Yeah, extra extra large. Yeah, yeah. We we they come in all, all the sizes. You can get whatever size you want in t-shirts. We have no restrictions on that. Okay, I, I forgot to ask about that. It's like, um, yeah, I think we go all the way up to four. <laughs> we even have the long. We even have the long torso t-shirts too. So that helps. Excellent. All right, uh, Mr. Gaddis, appreciate you uh, coming on here, and um, I hope to have you on again with your uh, next Kickstarter launch into the Pacific. Um, yeah. And I appreciate all the uh, the design aesthetic you bring to it, different stuff than what you normally see. And for uh, anyone listening, go on to uh, Kickstarter, just type in Gaddis, G-A-D-D-I-S, and uh, all of Gaddis Gaming's Kickstarters will show you up. You'll see a conflict in the east and go through there and uh, see what you feel like taking on. So, uh, Mr. Gaddis, going to wish you a good day. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And and uh, thank you to everyone uh, to come out and support us. And, you know, being part of this hobby is is is, is our pleasure because we meet some some great people. We roll some dice and we have a good time. And that is what it is to be a Gaddis gamer. Excellent. And for everyone listening, this is Miniature Wargaming Labs, and we'll see you next time.